In First Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the perverse. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you that you bless us and encourage us to walk in the same footsteps of Christ, that we might look at his example and see how that we are to live, realizing that he himself died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day, and that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, being victorious over sin and death, and therefore his atonement was made fully for us, that he took upon himself our sin. And we have now, as we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the righteousness of Christ. And so we thank you and praise you, Father, and ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps this passage is one we sometimes quizzle our brow over because uh, we don't always like to submit to evil authorities. I suppose if we put ourselves in the first century and uh, was living under Nero who did persecute the Christians sorely or Caligula who was a very evil tyrant in Rome and persecuted the Christians unmercifully, we might think, why is it that we would have to submit to any authority such as this? But we find that the Lord would have us to
to realize that an evil king is better than no king. Or an evil, evil man who rules is at least controlling the chaos of civilization. Now if you were living under Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was a probably considered to be a cruel king, at least when he goes to war, as they used great uh, authority to crush the enemy, or maybe even an Alexander the Great who decimated many kingdoms for the sake of his own ambition, these men ruled ruthlessly in much regard. And we find that yet their empires did last for a season of time. And God raises up one kingdom and he puts down another. And if you've ever read Isaiah chapter 40, you know that all the nations of the world are like a drop in the bucket compared to the authority and the sovereignty of Almighty God who rules above heaven and earth. And so we, when we put things into perspective, sometimes God in his own wise wisdom raises up a good king. And then sometimes an evil king comes along and he allows that king to rule. But we have to remember God establishes authorities for our good. And that is what uh, Peter, of course, was relating to the believers. And, of course, the Apostle Paul did the same thing. He related the same thing to them. And what is the true outcome of the whole matter concerning Christians? It is that we might learn to live to the glory of God and realize even the subjecting of our Sounds unto evil authorities or authorities in general is a part of God's plan that we might stop the mouths of evil men speaking against us. In other words, they would have not, not have so much to slander us with if we obey the authority or the rule of the land. Now when it comes to obeying God or obeying man, of course we must always choose God. We must obey God rather than man. But God's true word does not conflict with man. It's only when man tries to usurp the authority of God that we find ourselves in a place that we have to resist man and obey the word of God. And so if somebody comes to you and says, and they are an authority, and they say, you cannot read your Bible anymore, you do not have to obey them. Because God has given us his word. And he has said that we must read and we must meditate upon and we must consider and seek him out through his word, through his revelation. God has ordained certain things that we are to obey and do. And one of them is, of course, the authorities which he has established. And that also is to be part of the will of God because Christ himself suffered under authorities. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He suffered at the hands of those who would stone him if they could. 
He suffered at the hands of those who would ridicule him. He suffered at the, at the hands of those soldiers who took off his garments and, and uh, took a Roman scourge and, and whipped him unmercifully. He suffered at the hand of the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those who would have him killed. Now, do you not think that he, being the Son of God, could have called 10,000 to his, his aid if he desired for them to come? Yes, he could. But remember, Jesus came to suffer and die for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And so he did allow that these would do the very things to him that caused great suffering and pain to him that he might die for the sins of the world therefore are we also to follow the example of Christ as long as it pleases God as long as we are obeying the word of God many Christians in foreign countries today are suffering because they are Christians just because they would make such a profession of faith, they would suffer. In Saudi Arabia or the countries of, of great Muslim content and rule, if you tried to say that you were a Christian or preach the gospel under such authorities, you might be chastened greatly, persecuted heavily, if not violently killed, which we know has happened to many. Now we know that this, uh, this message of, uh, of being subject to authorities is only good to a certain degree to that degree to which God has authored it. But to that degree we are to obey authorities for our good and for Christ's sake, the scripture says, and for Christ's sake. So these are the three areas we're going to be looking at here this afternoon. First of all, obedience to authorities is for the Lord's sake and his glory that's one of the reasons that we are to obey authorities for the Lord's sake and for his glory secondly we are required to obey authorities for the glory of God to stop the mouths of evil men who would speak against us that is if we are obeying the law of the land they cannot bring a just accusation against us they can only bring an unjust accusation which would lead us to the place where if we are obeying the authorities and we break the law or something and suffer persecution, well, then that is what we deserve. But if we are obeying authorities and, we, and they unjustly punish the Christian, then that is for the glory of God. And we are to bear it patiently. Even as Christ himself 
bore his sufferings patiently. And so we'll look at this passage here for a few moments. First of all, in verse 13, submitting yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, by God, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of all them that do well. Now we know that is what the law of man is supposed to be for. It's supposed to be for the punishment of evildoers. If someone steals or is, is, has committed a crime, whether it be theft or it would be some other violent act, then we expect that the government is going to punish those people. Now that is what God had designed the government for for those kinds of reasons, that there might be civil authority, whether it be the President of the United States who issues laws and the governor who, who carries out those laws to be um, maintained through the police department or through various other agencies, we find that that is supposed to be for our good, to punish those who, who commit crimes and to set up law and order. Now we know that in our country today that it isn't always a clear cut and dry thing. Many times there is injustices that goes on. And we have all seen lately how that the culture in which we live has perpetrated a great deal of criminal activity on others and allows it to go on. Now the Bible says that that is wrong. That that is not the reason authorities were set up so that the criminal can go free. God established authorities very early in the book of Genesis, I think along about chapter 9. And we find that the authorities were established that we might live peaceably. That we might live under some rule where there wouldn't be chaos and unjust actions and criminal crimin, criminality going on constantly. And so it probably saddens us greatly, I know it does me, to see people who are committing crimes and nothing is done. And sometimes the, even the police have their hands tied behind their back, so to speak, that they cannot do anything concerning some of the crimes that are committed. But yet the scripture is true and the word of God is there for our understanding that we are to obey the authorities as long as they do not violate the very word of God itself. And so we find in these two verses that he established these authorities, the king, the president, if you will, as being supreme, the governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of those who do wrong, they're called evildoers here, and for, and for the praise of them that do well. In other words, some should be commended for doing well, while others are supposed to be punished for doing evil. And sometimes we do find that that prevails, but sadly, we are living in a day and age 
where it seems less and less that that is going on. But that does not give us a reason to set aside what the Word of God says. We must ever strive that authorities would do what is right and good in the sight of God. And even old Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson and was put out the pasture, so to speak, until he finally realized that there was somebody who was more supreme than he was. And then he changed his mind. So we find that God does uh, turn the tables on some of these people, doesn't he? And that is what we have to remember. When God establishes his word and his authorities, he doesn't mean that God can't override the evil authority that might be trying to perpetrate some harm or isn't carrying out the authorities the way that God intended. God still is in control. He may have them uh, give them a little rein. He may give them a leash just about so long. But sooner or later, he will tighten the noose and he will snap them back and uh, they will realize that there is one who rules and reigns upon the circle of the earth. And God Almighty is still in control. In verse 15 he says, For so is the will of God with well-doing that ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so we are required to obey authorities for the glory of God to stop the mouths of evil men. You see, there are those who are ignorant, there are those who are foolish, and God would have us to live in a certain way, according to his word, that we might put their mouths to silence. In other words, they wouldn't have any just reason to complain against us as Christians if we are obeying the authorities and if we are doing well rather than rioting, burning, breaking and looting in stores or doing some of the kinds of evil things that others are perpetrating. You see, certainly we wouldn't be doing any of that even though we disagreed with the authority. I mean, we might not like what President Biden is doing a lot of times. You might not even have liked what President Trump did once in a while. Or maybe there was some other president in the past that you might have said, I didn't really care for that president too well. But still, did you go out and riot? Did you go out and cause mayhem? Did you do harm and break the civil law of the land? No, see, we, as Christians, we're not called to do those things. We're not called to do that. It's okay if we speak up and say something in, a, in, a, in, in the right way. It's okay if we protest, if we are doing it in the right way, exercising free speech and not doing harm to anyone. And of course, sometimes Christians even get into trouble when they do it the right way. Which of course is not altogether right, is it? But then, when you're under the authorities of people who do not like the Christian, or do not believe even what the Christian is saying, sometimes they are filled with hate and violence, and sometimes they will strike out unjustly 
against that person. We have to remember that in the time of Christ when he was upon the earth and the disciples were going about preaching that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that he is the true Messiah, they were not always welcomed with great uh, open wide arms and uh, they were sometimes persecuted because they were preaching something that the Jewish leaders did not like, you see. And you know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes we have to speak the truth and we're not exactly patted on the back for it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And that doesn't mean it's against, it's against the law. It just means that somebody doesn't agree with us and sometimes they want to be violent about it. But we are not a militant church in the sense that we do violence to get our way. No. All we do is to live the life of Christ and to preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saying that Christ came according to the scriptures. That he was born of a virgin. That he came into the world as the Son of God. That he is the incarnate Son of God. Even known as the Christ within scripture. The true Messiah of God. And that he came to redeem his people from their sins. He came to forgive others for their sins, not for his own, because he himself was the, the perfect son of God. He was the incarnate of God. He came forth from the Father. He was not born of a human father, but born only of a human mother. And that set him aside as the true incarnate of God the true Messiah, the one who was promised in the Old Testament, you see. Those things that we stand up for on that orthodox ground are good and right, and the authorities are supposed to allow that we have freedom of religion and freedom of speech to say those things. But sometimes even then, Christians are persecuted for it. But then, as we read on further, he says... For so, will, so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. He says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so he, he gives us... Uh, um, several things in a kind of a mandate that we have to do. First of all, we're not to use our liberty to go and commit a criminal act. We certainly are not to do that. He says, as free and not using your liberty, the liberty that we have in Christ, we're not to use our liberty for a cloak of maliciousness or for doing evil, for doing bad things. But as the servants of God, what are we to do? First of all, we are to honor all men. We are to respect people. You know, there may be people that you don't like what they do. You may even say, well, they're sinners, great sinners. Well, even so, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners in, in the sight of God. And, and Christ came to die for sinners. And so what do we do? But we should honor all men. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them. It doesn't mean we condone any sin. It means that we just simply say, 
you are required, I am required to honor you or respect you just as much as you are required to honor me and respect me. I remember a few years ago now, when I had my Christian bookstore, there was a little bit of a protest going on out in the street and someone had set up some tables and it was about the time that the state of Maine was trying to legalize gay marriage and gay rights. And uh, somebody came in to my shop and says, can I put a table out here and pass out literature uh, to people on the sidewalk, you know, because I don't agree with gay rights and I don't agree with a gay marriage and I don't agree with that kind of lifestyle. And I says, I don't care if you want to put your table out there and do that. You're welcome to do it. You have the right of free speech. And so they were doing that. But then somebody else came in the bookstore and, and began to berate me because I allowed them to put that table out there and to have free speech. And I told them, why don't you have free speech? Shouldn't they have free speech? Is your speech the only one that's free? You mean their speech isn't free? And eventually they just left. You see, sometimes people will disagree with you and they will try to disrespect what you're doing. But you just, you just have to stand, stand for what you believe, what God would have us to do. Honor all men. We, sh we should respect others even though we disagree with them. Well, I need to respect the President of the United States. I might not agree with him on everything. But I have to respect the office. He says, love the brotherhood. The Christian brotherhood. Well, that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't love other people. That is, to show them the love of God. But certainly, above all, if we respect all men, we ought to remember to love those who are the brotherhood of Christ. We ought to love them. He says, fear God. Respect others. Love, love your brothers in Christ. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Of course, to fear God is to reverence God, to honor God, to hold Him in high esteem, the highest of esteems. Nobody else should be held higher than God. And then honor the king. He says, that's the last one, honor the president, honor the, honor the ruler of the land, honor him. God has put him there, so honor him, you see. If more Christians and more people would do this, if more people would do this, then there'd probably be much more peace in the land. Much more civil unrest wouldn't, wouldn't keep going on as it is. In verse 18, he goes on to other people here who, affect, who are affected in the society of the first century. He says, servants... Be subject to your masters. Well, of course, in the first century, there were servants and slaves. Well, we shouldn't look too far away, and I think probably there are still a few servants and slaves around. But, uh, of course, thankfully, we don't have them here, at least not under law, we don't have them. Lawless people may have servants and slaves, 
lawless people may do a lot of things. But as far as the employer-employee relationship, we ought to recognize that we have a duty to serve those that we are hired to, to uh, do work for. He says, with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the perverse or the evil. Well, you see, that's it, isn't it? You don't, you don't always get to choose who you're working for. Some of the people you work for won't be very good people. They might take advantage of you. They might want to work you overtime and not pay you. They might want to work and work you in such a way that you're not getting your full pay, or you might not be giving your full benefits. So maybe they're just really mean people to work for. But if you want that job, you have to continue working for them. And the Bible says that there is a sense in which this can be to the good if we realize that we are doing it for Christ's sake. That is, we are living a certain way, a certain example that we might honor God, that we might do it for Christ's sake and for His glory. There is some benefit for the glory of God if we look at it in the right direction and realize that we are called as Christians to serve the Lord our God in our works and in our home in our schools in any kind of walk of life that is if as Christians that's what we are called to do to serve the Lord sometimes they are gentle people that we're working for and sometimes they are not so gentle maybe even perverse and you might want to find another means of employment if, if possible then. But in the first century, some of these people who were slaves, they did, had no choice, did they? They were bought down on the slave market, down, in, down on, the, on the common somewhere. They didn't have any choice at all. Was it poor old Onesimus, why he didn't like his uh, master too well? Ran away? <laughs> Well, anyway, um, verse 19, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. You see, some, sometimes that happens. We, sometimes people suffer wrongfully, and they have to endure it. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted or violently hurt in some way for your faults, you shall take it patiently. You shall endure it. I mean, if you've done something wrong and you take it patiently, well, okay. You may not like it, but you have to, do have to suffer through it. But it, probably not for the glory of God if you deserved it. Right? But if when you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. In other words, sometimes, sometimes we deserve what we get because we did something that was wrong. But if you don't deserve it, and you, and you were endured through it patiently, allowing that God, knowing that God should receive the glory for it, I suppose it wasn't altogether a good thing for the apostle to be under house arrest and to go through some of the things that he went through, or that any of the other apostles, or what about the various Christians throughout the centuries 
who have suffered at the hands of others and bore it patiently. I'm sure you've read accounts of Christians who instead of running away from the, the situation that they were in, they rather stayed and allowed others to persecute them. Sometimes that, that has happened a, a great deal of times. Because they wanted to be a testimony for Christ, they didn't run away. But rather they stayed and suffered patiently under whatever trial was, was placed upon them. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. In other words, it's just like, being, it's just like Christ. You're really walking in the same footsteps of Christ when you do something like that. You, you, you're really taking upon your own back the cross of Christ in the sense of being willing to bear under certain sufferings for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the testimony of the cross, to preach the gospel of Christ. Now, I didn't say this was easy. I, I can't imagine anybody who's ever suffered like that and been persecuted believed that it was easy. It, it isn't easy. And I wouldn't even say that somebody would do it unless they really had a really strong conviction for Christ. A very strong conviction for Christ. To suffer it patiently. During the Inquisitions, whether it was the Spanish Inquisition or whether it was Inquisitions perpetrated by Rome against many of the Christians, they hunted down these Christians who did not agree with quote-unquote Mother Church. They hunted them down like animals. These Christians were reading their Bibles and they were studying at home. These Christians were taking the communion at home. These Christians were preaching the gospel in their small villages. But because the church didn't sanction it and didn't say they could do it, they hunted them down and persecuted them for it. Be why? Because, well, at the time, the church, the mother church, the Roman Catholic church at that time that was under evil rule, and so there was an evil authority which was perpetrating a great deal of violence against other Christians. Now, unfortunately, sometimes even Christians do wrong things in the name of Christianity. And we, we have seen that be, be, uh, be, uh, uh, over and over. And what does the world do? The evil, the world says something evil against the Christian. Then, do they not? You know, and, and so that's what it says. That if if a, if a governor, if a ruler, if a leader, whether it be of a nation or a church or anything else, persecute someone and they do it wrongfully, we're supposed to bear it for this cause of Christ. But if we are willing to bear and to serve under the rule of governors or presidents or kings or authorities for the glory of God... There is a sense that we can stop the mouths of those who say evil against us. 
So it's a difficult thing, isn't it? For many Christians who want to stand for the truth. In verse 20, for what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Well, let's look on to verse 21. Even as hereunto, even for even hereunto were ye called. Now, it seems like the, the passage is coming now to the point where it's beginning to say a good reason why this should be followed. Here is a good reason why this should be followed. Why governors, why kings, why those in authority should be obeyed. Why we should allow that if we are doing good and if we are being persecuted for it, that we should take it patiently. This is the reason. For hereunto were you called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Well, we, we talk about that, don't we? We're supposed to follow in the steps of Jesus. Yet we find that you and I probably can't fill the same shoes that Jesus walked in as because we know that he was the son of God and, and we are not. We are the sons of God, plural. He was the son of God from heaven above. We are to model the life of Christ and so walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And it's a difficulty, of course. So he left us an example that you and I should follow in his steps. Verse 22, who did no sin, neither was, in, was guile found in his mouth. This is, this is Christ. This, these are the footsteps of Jesus. He was not a sinner. He did not commit sin. He did not sin. And no guile, no, no form of impurity was found in him. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Well, he was standing before Pilate. Of course, Pilate questioned him quite thoroughly. Are you the king of the Jews? And he would not say that, that he was a king in the sense of a worldly potentate. He wouldn't say that. He made no real defense of, for himself. His silence almost convinced Pilate that he should not be persecuted and not suffer. In fact, Pilate kind of wanted to wash his hands of him. But he found it increasingly difficult because he was a, po a politician. He was one of Rome's politicians. And he, he was an, a kind of a pacifier. He wanted to pacify the Jews. He wanted to stay on their good side, you might say. Well, we have a lot of politicians like that today, don't we? They're, they're political more than they are anything else. 
I was just reading a brief little notation about Donald Trump. They said, well, he changed his view on abortion just recently. Kind of backstepped just a little bit. Well, they're saying the government ought to do something on abortion. In other words, in giving some ground, some little edging in that direction. There's some reasons they should kill children, kill little babies in the womb. You ought to, you ought to give some reason. Well, you know, Democrats, they want to kill them right up to the day they could be born. And, you know, the word democracy isn't a bad word. It's just what, you know, certain people are doing to it today because they call themselves Democrats and they're on a very progressive bent so far to in that direction that it's just beyond what most people would tolerate. And, it, you know, it's, it's upsetting a lot of, to a lot of people. But you see, Pilate was, um, you know, he was, he was upset about it. Even his wife, I believe, came to him and says, Watch out for that, for that guy. He may be a problem for you. And so we find that Jesus didn't revile. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't threaten anyone. But rather he committed himself to him that judges righteously. Well, of course, there's only one that's going to judge righteously. God. And so he had to commit himself into the hands of God. Thy will be done. Not my will, but thy, thy will be done. Lord, can this cup pass from me? He couldn't. The cup of suffering wouldn't pass from him. And so he had to pray, thy will be done. You know, sometimes we perhaps come to that juncture as well. Uh, if we're going to stay in the footsteps of Jesus, we're going to have to commit ourselves unto him who judgeth righteously. If man will judge righteously, we have to commit ourselves unto God who does judge righteously. And what did Jesus do? Verse 24 who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Well, verse 24, and at least one little line there gets into what Pastor Bo was talking about this morning. He says, being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Well, the only way we can be dead to sin is to live in Christ, you see. Sin wants to reign in the mortal body. It's its home. It just likes to do it. But as we realize that Christ has died for our sins, that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, as we realize that, what do we also realize? That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. Now how are we going to do that? By obeying the commands of God. By obeying the authorities God has established over us. As long as it doesn't violate the authority of God. 
by willing to bear patiently those things in the flesh for Christ's sake, which he desires for us to do. Why? Because he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He bore our own sins upon the tree. And because we know him as true Savior and Lord, we are dead to sin. And we are to live unto the righteousness of Christ. And it says, by whose stripes we are healed. Well, I think that phrase probably comes out of Isaiah 53. By whose stripes we are healed. And it's not talking about some charismatic healing where some faith healer lays hands on you and, and you are supposed to be made well. Although God does do miracles. No, it's talking about the whole sin condition. The whole sin condition. Verse 25, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. We were as sheep going astray. Isaiah 53 again. And we realize that we were. We we were sheep going astray. We had turned unto our, our own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, you see. And we have returned unto God but only through Christ who died for our sins. And now we have claimed him as our true shepherd. And so as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we are to follow our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, David knew what that all meant, you see. And a lot of of funerals have, have that read. But I wonder how many realize what it means. And he says, and bishop of our souls. And bishop, word bishop being overseer, the overseer of our souls. God is the overseer of our souls through Christ our Lord. And so this is the whole upshot of it, isn't it? Why do we put up with the things in this world for the, for the sake of Christ and the glory of God? Because Christ is the supreme example, and we are to be followers of him. He is the one who is the true authority over us, the true shepherd of the sheep. He is the overseer of our souls. We cannot violate it. If we do, we violate our own faith, our own salvation. We violate our salvation. God has established authorities for our own good. And for Christ's sake, we are to obey them. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the ministry of your word by your spirit. Thank you for being able to teach it to us through your word. And we praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Offer our closing hymn. 456, I'd rather have Jesus.
rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hands than to unto you, Lord, and realize that you will supply all of our needs, then the true happiness and contentment of life begins to flood upon us. 
and we realize that the shallowness of the world is nothing compared to the fullness and the abundance of the grace of God. And so I pray you will help each one of us to trust in you daily and to follow the principles of the Word of God that we might live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and honesty as we pray for our rulers and for those in authority. In Jesus' name, amen.
Joe didn't feel good today, Dave? He was, uh, he was going to be off for a uh, uh, graduation thing for his granddaughter. Oh, I see. Yeah. He wasn't planning on being here today. Okay. You think you'll have these songs on YouTube? Yes. 